Falls. Starring the Hawkeye State Zone, John Blue. Tonight's special guest, he writes for CanisHoopus.com, a T-Wolves website. for joining the program we've uh we've mostly been talking playoffs for a good part of the summer uh, and started focusing on the draft a bit recently and since you cover the timberwolves and the wolves have the prized possession the number one pick uh we just kind of want to get an idea of what they might be thinking what's kind of the chatter in the wolves community and uh, what type of trades or picks or players you might pick with it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I'll start off um, just to kind of go over where the Wolves are. They didn't make the playoffs, but for a number one seed, it's an interesting, or sorry, a team with the number one pick. They interestingly are going to be shooting for the playoffs next year. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. And thank you guys for having me on it. It's good to be with you guys. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the, it's it's a really interesting, you know, kind of setup at the top of the draft. We have two teams at the top of the draft that, that aren't necessarily maybe your traditional number one and number two teams, um, just because one of them is going to be hope, potentially competing for a championship. Yeah. And then the other one, um, you know, in Minnesota is, is going to be gunning for a playoff spot. Um, and so it, it's just an interesting, an interesting kind of, you know, kind of caught in the middle, uh, from the wolves perspective of, you know, do we kind of go all in and try to try to make a move that, you know, can get a a third quote unquote star here, um, you know, using the number one pick as a trade ship or, or do we kind of want to try and at least be a little bit more patient with this thing and maybe take someone at number one, try to see what we have with them for the first, you know, three, four months of the season. And then, and then trade him at the trade deadline. Um, so, so really kind of an interesting, an interesting caught in the middle there, but, but there definitely is, um, you know, now a lot, a lot more talk and, and rumors and speculation uh, about what's going on with the number one pick and, and especially the Timberwolves trading down just because uh, I think that that, that outcome is far more likely than, than not at this point, uh, just based on what we've heard from, from president of basketball operations, uh, Gerson Rosas and, and, and executive vice president of basketball operations, uh, Sasha Gupta. So it's, um, it's a fun time to be, it's a fun time to be following the Wolves. That's for sure. Well, do you feel, how do you feel about the two stars you have now uh, with Carl Anthony Towns, obviously the number one and D'Angelo Russell, the two. So I've been sentenced to watching Jeff Teague play basketball and be <laughs> the starting point guard for the Timberwolves for the last three seasons. So, uh, so I'm excited, uh, needless to say about D'Angelo Russell, um, just because with the two of them, you unlock so much of each other. Uh, that that I think is going to be really interesting for for a guy like Ryan Saunders and, and Pablo Prigioni, the offensive coordinator. To deploy. Oh, I didn't know he was the offensive coordinator. Yeah, yeah. So um, so he obviously played a huge role in, in D'Lo's development in Brooklyn as a player development coach. Um, and in the summer, so before last season, um, he was brought in to be uh, to be an assistant coach in in the offensive coordinator. But but I, I feel very confident in the in the two of them. Um, as building blocks solely because, you know, the Timberwolves haven't had a dynamic point guard that can make shots off the dribble um, and kind of carry the load offensively since Stephon Marbury was uh, mm-hmm. was was in the Wolves way back in the day, um, and so to be able to have a guy like D'Lo that can that can really maximize Cat as as a pick and roll partner, I think is going to be really interesting to see just because Cat is obviously uh, the you know the most talented offensive or from an offensive perspective, the most talented big guy in the NBA, um, just with how elite of a shooter he is stepping out, um, 
you know, even, even off the dribble too, with setbacks, you know, he proved that he could do that last year as well. So uh, just the triple threat that you have with, with cat as, as a big, he can roll, he can post up out of a roll, he can pop out, he can pump fake and attack closeouts. Uh, And and obviously you have a guy like D'Angelo Russell, who, who now you have to respect his shot in the mid range. Um, So if cat pops out, you know, and, and the big isn't up, um, he'll, he'll go right ahead and, sh- and shoot that mid range. So, uh, just everything that, that, that pick and roll, uh, kind of partnership and combination will unlock, I think is something that I'm really excited about. Obviously on the defensive end of the floor, um, you know, there's a, <laughs> a lot to be desired there. Um, and they'll need some ancillary help, uh, from, from guys like Josh Akogi and, and hopefully Jarrett Culver, uh, unless he's traded. Um, so, so it'll just be really fascinating to see that the way that they build out this roster. But, but to me, there, there's no reason why uh, a team that features D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns can't ultimately end up being a perennial playoff team because the, the offensive potential that those two possess is, uh, is pretty special. What do you, I've, I'm so curious what happened to Towns's defense or if it ever even existed in the first place, because in college, when he was coming out in the draft, he was considered like more of the defensive big rather than Julia Okafor, who was at that time, the more traditional offensive big who was going to put up points and rebounds, but he's been great offensively towns and has a good three point percentage, but it's just not happening defensively. Yeah. I I think with cat, it's just that, you know, he's so eager and wants to attack and and make plays himself that I think that it, it, it's, it's kind of complicated things for him. And I think everything moves really fast and um, you know, and it's tough for him to, to make split quick decisions defensively in terms of where to be in terms of his position. um, But also, you know, how to defend shots without fouling. He, he's been one of the worst bigs in the NBA in terms of how much he fouls over the last couple of seasons, which, which is unfortunate um, just because obviously you want your guys to stay on the floor. But, um, but I think, you know, we can't undersell the value of a guy like Taj Gibson uh, when, when he was in Minnesota. I mean, Cat, Cat played much, much better defense uh, when he had a guy like Taj behind him to, you know, to help kind of be that safety net, uh, but also help him with, with, communication and the pick and roll and, and stuff like that. And having a veteran like that with you every day in practice, I think is really important. Um, and, and since Taj left, you know, two years ago, um, he, he really hasn't had that in Minnesota. Um, and, and so, you know, I mean, you can say what you want about Gorgie Dang, but you know, he wasn't exactly a veteran that could, could kind of look up to, um, you know, as a, you know, as an elder statesman in the room. And I mean, Gorgie was a good, you know, a, a solid big defender, but, um, but I don't, I just don't think was that, you know, that presence for cat that can kind of really help him uh, kind of help show him the way, if you will. And so without that, you know, I think he's just kind of been really aggressive um, and, and, and doesn't really know how to rein it in necessarily. And I think that, that the Timberwolves have really tried to dumb things down defensively to try and make things simpler for him. And so that's why they've, you know, played more of a drop scheme rather than, you know, having him switch or, or blitz and, and pick and roll coverages and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, it'll just be, it'll just be really interesting to see what they do to surround cat uh, up front with, you know, a defense, a veteran defensive presence um, like a, like a Taj that could kind of help, help him out on that end. Or if they, or if they just go all in on offense and say, you want to know what, like cat's defense is going to be what it's going to be. And, and let's just try and even further maximize him as this ultra unicorn offensive superstar. Um, so, so it's just going to be really interesting to see what happens. And I think you're going to see a lot of, a lot of roster churn between now and when the, when the season officially kicks off, uh, kicks off for the wolves. So as far as getting, like another big and it's not even necessarily like Taj who could be a mentor. Do you think uh, the ideal lineup is for Kat to have another big in the lineup with him? Who's more of the rim protector or, or do you think they should go like uh, just a one through five, all offensive guys who could shoot? So I, I definitely think that they need to, do something to address the defensive end of the floor, just because, you know, the Timberwolves are one of the three or four best offensive teams in the NBA after the trade deadline. Uh, and Carl Anthony Towns played maybe one or two games. Right. That was like all deadline. dang, right? 
All what? Or Gorgie Jang. Or was it Gorgie Jang who was doing No, because no. Gorgie got traded to Memphis okay. and that, that was how we got James Johnson. Um so we were we were pretty much rolling with James Johnson and, and Juancho Hernan Gomez um in the front court and played some and, and Nas Reed also who was an undrafted uh-huh. free agent rookie for us last year. Um got some good run at the five spot as well, uh, which was great. Um just kind of fun to see young guys get in there and, and play. But um, so the Timberwolves are very capable offensively as it is right now, I think, um, especially if Malik Beasley is back. And then, you know, if they do make a selection at number one, I mean, whether it be Ball or Edwards or Oro or Wiseman or somebody like I, I think the team will still be very strong offensively. Um, so I do really think it's important to, to get a defensive presence in there. Um, you know, I don't know necessarily whether another big is the best option just because I think Minnesota really, really wants to play with cat as the five and roll with a one big lineup. But you know, the more you see in the playoffs, I think with LA going with two bigs and making it work, kind of having a rim protector and Dwight Howard, um, but also having a guy like AD that can just kind of be this off ball monster. Um, I think it, I mean, I ideally, I think that you could utilize some of cats length and athleticism as more of that off ball Rover and kind of have uh you know, more of your traditional, you know, anchor big back there. So if you wanted to go try and get a guy like, like uh, Mason Plumley, um, who's going to be a free agent this year from Denver, I think is one who's really interesting and has been, you know, a really solid defensive big, especially in the pick and roll for Denver. Um, you know, these last few years, uh, he's really interesting, but if you also wanted to get a guy that was smaller, kind of at the mm-hmm. four, that's also a strong defender, who's, who's really good at, you know, at digging and tagging and, and the pick and roll is Derek Jones Jr. of Miami. So those are two guys that that I've looked at that I think would be really interesting fits. Um, but in a perfect world, you know, we'd be able to get a guy like Serge Ibaka um, just because he brings so much toughness and experience on both ends of the floor. Um, so, so those are kind of a few names that I've thought of. But I definitely think that getting, a, a, whether it be a four or a five, uh, that can also defend to come in, um, I, I think is one of the biggest priorities this, this offseason for Minnesota. So turning to the draft, um, if if Minnesota were to keep their pick and was concentrated on actually drafting for themselves, not as something that they would later trade, who is there anybody you have your eye on or who you think they would be leaning towards? Yeah, I guess it's so, two different questions. Like one, who uh, yeah, do you I was, think I was would just be best? Say, and then, kind of yeah. split it into split it into two there. So. Um, in terms of people that I have my eye on, um, so I worked with with a couple other other, other guys there, right? With Jake Painting and Tyler Metcalf on on our Canis Hoopas big board that that just recently got expanded to twenty prospects. And looking at that from a Timberwolves perspective of kind of organizing a big board of of who we think the Timberwolves should take. Um, and so Isaac Okoro was number one on that big board, and and he's my oh, favorite wow. prospect in the draft. Um, yeah, and so you know I just think that he's the most NBA ready player uh in the entire draft i think that he has his defense is legit and is going to transfer day one um and when i look at prospects i look at um you know what what surefire bankable skills does this guy have that will translate to the nba that he can rely on if if kind of shit starts to hit the fan a little bit um and and so his defense and his energy i think are incredible um they really fly off the screen when you when you watch him play um, and he's also a really good playmaker for, for a wing in his size that, that wasn't really used a ton on the ball, uh, has really good instincts going to the rim and for knowing when to pass and when to, when to score an attack. So, uh, so I really like Isaac Okoro. Um, and, and if his shot can develop a little bit more than, than what he showed at, at Auburn, um, I think that I, I think that he, he'll be the best player that comes out of this draft. Um, yeah, he's someone I t- would be very happy with the Knicks getting at number eight. <laughs> Yeah, no. And, and I think it's fun because, you know, from the Knicks and the Wolves perspective, like there's a lot of overlap in terms of guys that we're interested in or, or theoretically, mm-hmm. you know, supporters and, and people who do talk and write about the teams um, want, want to see play for the teams. Um, and then, then the one guy who I would keep my eye on in terms of if the Wolves do end up keeping the pick uh, is LaMelo Ball. Uh, the reason why I say LaMelo over, over a guy like Wiseman or over a guy like Anthony Edwards is just because, um, you know, Gerson Rosas leading up to the draft has talked about, you know, what he looks for in a prospect or what's valuable. Um, and, and, and he repeatedly has, has noted that playmaking is, is really important. 
Um, and the other two things that he's talked about are defense and passion. Um, and, you know, I don't really know where LaMelo stands necessarily in, in checking either of those boxes, but the playmaking has definitely been what he's talked about the most. And I think that LaMelo probably has the most unique talent and skill set of any player in the draft that uh, you just can't teach. And so, you know, because of that, I think that makes him, you know, an alluring prospect at number one and, and is the guy that I ultimately think the Timberwolves would think has the most trade value. Uh, both now and potentially at the trade deadline, uh, if they do end up, you know, drafting him and then rolling with him for, you know, for the, at least the first part of the season. So those are the those are the two guys that that I would I would throw out there. John, do you have any uh, thoughts of who the Timberwolves would should take maybe at the top of the draft? I, I yeah, I like that idea of. Um, picking someone for the purposes of trading them. And just cause, um, so I don't see it for the Timberwolves this year. Like, no, <laughs> I mean, it, I think oh. the West is going to be super, <laughs> super competitive. And I just think it's just going to be so hard with this short off season for any new players to really contribute. And so, yeah, there's just, there's too many teams, but because of that, I think there's an opportunity to play for the deadline and then you can really because right now draft picks um in the first round have never like this is not a you know high talent draft to begin with and there's really no time to integrate these players onto your team before the season starts and these guys who were coming out of college didn't even have a full freshman year right in a lot of cases so these, I think there's, there's like so little value in a lot of these picks for teams that are trying to compete for a championship. Um, I think the, the, like, I don't know, the finance side of me is like, okay, so you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta think of this as an investment because there are going to be a whole bunch of teams, more teams than maybe ever who are still in it and think they can win it come trade deadline time. Right. Like we're not living in the Warriors dynasty anymore. The Lakers are great, but, you know, one injury away from irrelevance. I mean, not irrelevance, but you know what I mean? Like it can be it can be wide open next year. In that case, if you pick a guy who can show well and develop for the first three months, I mean, you can get a haul for him potentially in terms of draft picks and so forth at the deadline. And maybe that's the play. I mean, I know there's a push for the playoffs, but I honestly, I mean, hear that from a lot of teams where I'm like, I mean, really? Right. Um, I, and I think they should push, but at the same, cause you do don't, you don't want to like, just, I, I hate the tanking yeah. and I, I'm a, I believe in the culture of winning and all that stuff. But I think that's maybe their best opportunity is something like that. I think that's a really neat idea. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, that, that I think about in terms of, I, I know you mentioned that you know, a lot of teams kind of think they can win and, and kind of unnecessarily, you know, make moves to try and win and it ends up backfiring and you end up in this, you know, cycle of consistent mediocrity. Um, but I think the thing that's unique a little bit about the Timberwolves relative to, to maybe a team like Orlando um, or New Orleans or San Antonio is that I think they kind of, like none of those teams really have a ticking time bomb that like Minnesota does yeah. potentially with, with Carl Anthony Towns um, getting to a point where he's upset and, and and ask for a trade to leave. Um, and, and I also don't think that, you know, teams that are also competing have as hyper aggressive of a front office as the Timberwolves do. Um, you know, Rosas came from Houston. Uh, and so he was under Maury as their number two and, and no team has made, no team made more trades um, while Rosas was there than the Rockets. So you can expect that the Timberwolves are going to be really active. Um, and the, and the reason why I bring up the, the trade deadline versus trying to make a trade now is because I think in some of these places where, you know, you might have a guy who becomes available, whether it be a Ben Simmons in Philadelphia or a Bradley Beal in Washington, um, you kind of have this sense of, you know, the Sixers are going to want to play it out to start with because Maury's coming in and Doc Rivers is a new coach. And then in Washington, you know, I pray to God that John Wall's back and he's healthy. He's one of my favorite players in the league to watch when, when he's healthy, but you know, you might want to now see what that team looks like with, with guys like Troy Brown and, and potentially, you know, Davis Burton's back and, um, 
and, and then obviously pairing Wall and Beal back together. So, um, the, you know, it makes sense for those teams too to also play it out and see what happens. Um, and then obviously it makes sense for Minnesota too, because then, you know, if Ball plays, let's say they draft Lamelo Ball. Um, if Ball then ends up playing well for the first three, four months of the season, um, you know, then, then that might become a more intriguing trade trip chip and make it easier for Philadelphia to part with a Ben Simmons or, uh, or a Washington to, to part with Bradley Beal or just kind of the, the two biggest names that I think, I think come to mind because I think Minnesota is going to have their, their sights set high on, on who they might be able to go after. Yeah. I think with both them and the Warriors possibly looking to trade down and this being not the greatest draft and a lot of uncertainty near the top of the draft. I, I don't know if on draft day, these teams that are going to trade down are going to get much in return. It seems like it's, I guess a buyer's market, right? For the, for those number one and number two picks. Um, so yeah, I like the idea of drafting the asset and then trading. Also, I mean, the T-Wolves, they, uh, they don't have their pick next year, so they kind of have to go for it. Yeah. So one thing, one thing that I think is interesting that's been brought up is, um, so Golden State actually is, has been really interesting to me uh, through this cycle uh, of kind of scouting and evaluation because they've just been a leak fest. Um, one day they're, they're, you know, tantalized by physical beasts, James Wiseman and Anthony Edwards. Another day they're blown away by Denny Avdia. Um, you know, and it makes sense because they're trying to create a market for the number two pick. Um, in order for them to trade down. But, but another thing that I've found to be interesting that's been thrown out there, I think Keith Smith of Yahoo was kind of the first one that I really thought, saw throw it around was, you know, if Minnesota and Golden State swap picks, so let's say Golden State moves up to number one, the Timberwolves fall back to two, you know, maybe instead of having real trade compensation, like another pick or a player or something like that, the Timberwolves could get, you know, Maybe maybe a, a small guy. I'm going to throw my guy Kai Bowman out there, Boston College <laughs> alum. Um, but maybe they get a guy like Kai, Kai Bowman, and then they change the protections on the pick that Minnesota owes them next year. So instead of it being top three protected like it currently is, maybe it's top ten protected, or maybe it's top eight protected, or something like that. Um, which I think would be really interesting because then you know if Golden State drafts James Wiseman, number one, I still think there's going to be a market. Um, so they're going to be a market for, for a guy like LaMelo or Anthony Edwards, the Timberwolves to potentially then trade down again. Um, maybe, maybe it's with a team like the Knicks, you know, I, I think that, you know, if I had to put my money on it, I would think that, that the Knicks would be looking to move back rather than move up. But, um, you know, maybe, maybe the Knicks sees, sees the number two as a more gettable pick and they try and jump from eight to two to take a LaMelo or, or something like that. It's just, there's so many possibilities that come along with it. Yeah. So let's let's start talking about those trade down scenarios. Uh, and we'll, and we could start with the Knicks because if they're going to trade up, it would be for LaMelo Ball. So I guess, I mean, keeping it at number one, everybody's available. Um, the the trade that's been sort of talked about is would be eight and Mitch Robinson. And I can't imagine as a Wolves fan, you're interested in Robinson, not because you don't like him as a player, but as what we were talking about, about putting two bigs next to each other. Yeah. You know, I actually, so first of all, like I I think that there is no chance that, that Mitch would be on the table uh, Uh from a Knicks perspective. Um, You know, for better or worse, I think that the Knicks are really happy with what they have in a guy like Mitch and they probably think he's a lot better than he actually is. (laughs) Um, But I will say that he, he's a guy who has really unique athleticism and potential for a guy at the five spot. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, the Knicks probably think the idea of what Mitch could be or could turn into, um, is probably, you know, more optimistic than maybe what other teams view him. But, but I mean, what Mitch is right now is he's a hyper athletic defensive minded five who, um, can be really, really impactful on that end of the floor. Um, and I don't think the Timberwolves would think twice about, saying yes to a deal that includes eight and a guy like Mitchell Robinson, just because, I mean, if you think about it too, like Mitchell Robinson is, you know, for this upcoming season, his contract is like 1.6 million. And then next year it's 1.8 million. And then he's an unrestricted free agent. So, um, so, I mean, he's still a really cheap guy that would be 
incredibly impactful for the price that you're getting in that. So I think that that would, I think that, I think Minnesota would do that if they were at two, um, if they were at one, I think what they'd try and do is trade back first with a team like Charlotte. Um, if they really wanted James Wiseman and then try and, and then see what happens at two. And, uh, let's say, I don't know, let's say Isaac Okoro goes two to golden state and then, you know, three, three comes up. I think that Minnesota would absolutely say yes without thinking twice about it um, to get eight in a guy like Mitch Robinson. Um, I, I think a more likely scenario, maybe from a Knicks perspective, would be something where Frank Nilakina is on the table, maybe eight and Frank. How dare you? Um, what? I said, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I know it's it's the two the two most you know most coveted sons of New York, um, <laughs> but. Um, it's just because I think that the Timberwolves really are going to be looking for a more defensive minded guard that they can pair with, with Russell to play alongside him or to have, you know, Frank run the twos. Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm a lot higher on Frank than, than I think a lot of people in Minnesota are. Um, You're but, probably one yeah. of the few people in Minnesota who actually knows who he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And, 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 you know, I've done, I've done another podcast with, with some Knicks people too. And, and obviously I have a lot of friends here. Um, here at Boston college that, that are really big Knicks fans. So, uh, so it's just kind of, and you know, obviously like we feel each other's pain, you know, uh-huh. like it's just everybody, you know, you're the laughing stock of the league and, and people love to rip you and we got to stick together and get through it together. Yeah. Especially during these times. <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay. So yeah. I, I see golden state is actually a better trading partner for some deal that included Mitch. Cause they could definitely use is right. Yep. They could put him at the five and then Draymond Green at the four. And I think he'd be a better option than Kevon Looney or someone like that. Absolutely. And a cheaper one too. Yeah. Which is important for Golden State. Especially if this especially if the no salary cap's gonna drop ten or fifteen million dollars. So that's only going to increase their luxury tax payment by Yeah. If that happens, then I think then I think it's just gonna be even more insane of an offseason where teams just try to get down below the cap. Um, but I think from what I've heard, I don't know if you've heard differently, it's going to probably stay at 109 or around there. I would love, I mean, that would, that would be great. I have no, I've, you know, I haven't read anything concrete. It's all just kind of been conjecture yeah. at this point, but. So what are, uh, do you have any fun trade down trades that you think would make sense for the Wolves? Yeah. So, you know, I, I and maybe I've thought about this a little bit more in the past few days, just because, um, you know, just because James Wiseman has become a bigger name. And I think that, you know, it it has almost become clear that James Wiseman is kind of the guy that Golden State wants and is also the guy that Charlotte wants, um, which I think could create a little bit more of a market for the number one pick, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, a huge win for the Timberwolves. Um, And so looking at Charlotte, you know, I I don't think that Charlotte would be willing to get, get rid of their pick next year their first round pick next year, just because I think that team is going to be pretty bad again next year. Um, especially playing, you know, in a tougher conference or a tougher division, if the Hawks and the heat, uh, the magic are all going to be teams that are really trying to compete for, you know, for another spot. And then if the wizards are, are back to, um, you know, that's, that's a tough division for them. Um, and so I think that the Timberwolves could potentially go and say, all right, it's either your pick next year or, or PJ Washington. And you can decide what you want to give us. If you want the number one pick, then, then that's what you're going to have to do. Um, and, you know, I think that they could potentially sell high on a guy like PJ Washington. I think he would fit really, really well next to Cat as a guy who can stretch the floor, um, who's also, also athletic enough to put it on the deck. Um, so, so that's something, that's a guy that, that I would be interested in because then you, you also get into that territory again where, you know, PJ Washington plays really well in a more spaced out, you know, up and down system and becomes a bigger trade chip. Um, and then you also have the third pick. So you could have PJ Washington and then potentially also get Anthony Edwards or something like that, which I think would be interesting. But um, another one that I think is really interesting um, is trading with the Kings. Um, so the Kings obviously are a little bit further down the board. Where are they, are they um, at 12, 14? Uh, they're 12. Yeah. So 12, 12, okay. 12 with them. Um, so, I think it would be interesting because the Kings are going nowhere fast and uh-huh. their books are, their books are a mess um, between how much money they're shelling out to guys like uh, Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes um, and you know, probably Mel- Marvin Bagley um, by the time that 
by the time that, that his contract is up. And, you know, now Deer and Fox wants a max deal. So I think it would be really interesting if, if Minnesota um, trade swapped spots with Sacramento and gave up a guy like Jarrett Culver, um, you know, a guy like Jarrett Culver uh, and, and got Deer and Fox in return. And you have a backcourt of Deer and Fox and, and D'Angelo Russell, which I think would be one that would be really interesting. Um, just uh, I mean, because I'd do I that think, in a second if I was Minnesota. Yeah. I mean, I think that Minnesota would probably have to throw in a little bit more than that. Um, you know, whether it be the 17th pick as well um, or you know, maybe it's, maybe it's another kind of developmental player on the Wolves roster, but uh, I, I could, I wouldn't be surprised if Sacramento ends up trading, trading uh, Deer and Fox because they don't want to pay him a max contract uh, just because their books are that much of a disaster. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be crazy if, if they did that on their part, because he's, uh, he's their best player, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Will be and he's a playmaker, as you said, which is now the, becoming the most important skill in the NBA. If they just got to do what they can, I think just wait out the Harrison Barnes contract. It's not that much longer, and they could probably find a trade partner for Heald. So if they're, oh, they can yeah, trade Heald for sure. Exactly. Yeah, like maybe to the Sixers or Boston or something, uh, some team that knows they're going to be in the playoffs. And I, I would do that, and then just start like maybe a rebuild again, but with Fox. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting just because Harrison Barnes isn't a free agent. I don't think until 2023. Um, so waiting out that contract, I think might be, might while. be a little, might be a little bit tougher. Um, but, but uh, another guy that, that I think, you know, is going to be important for them moving forward is, is, uh, is Bogdanovich because Bogdanovich mm-hmm. is going to look at Buddy Heald who starts yeah. o- or who he starts over and be like, all right, well, what does Buddy Heald get paid? Like $22 million a year, <laughs> pay up. Yeah. And so you could potentially have a guy like Bogdanovich at 22, Barnes is at 22 next year, Heald is at whatever he's at, 22. And then and then you also have Fox on, on a max extension. Um, well, not next year, but the year after that. Um, so it, it would be really interesting to see what happens. You know, I think, you could trade Buddy Heald, but I don't think you'd be able to trade Buddy Heald to the Sixers without taking back Al Horford's contract um, or someone like that. Like, but I think Buddy Heald is a much better idea or he's much better <laughs> in theory than he is realistically, um, just because I think he's a hell of a lot. He, he thinks he's a hell of a lot better than he is. Um, and, and he's wildly overpaid. So, I mean, yeah. and he's already like 27. So, um, or tw- what? What? Or see, he. I mean, he's older. I don't know. Yeah, he's he was twenty-seven here. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He is twenty-seven. He turns yeah. twenty-eight um, in December. So, I mean, it's. I mean, there. It's just a nightmare for them, and and that could be. I mean, you you came at me with you know what's a funner idea, and I think that's maybe that's a funner fun. idea that you might not hear just because, um, you know, Sacramento is a team that nobody ever ever talks about in any capacity. Um, and you know, they have Monty McNair now, um, as their president of basketball operations and who, who knows, maybe he's wanting to make a splash in year one. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing for sure. But I, I think Charlotte probably makes the most sense or is the most realistic partner with Minnesota. Um, just because they want to make sure they get Wiseman over Golden Correct. State. That right. at least that's how I view it. Yeah. Um, and you know, from, from people that I've talked to who, who know, who know people, um, in the organization, um, the sense that I get is that, you know, the team is, is pretty much set on trading the pick, um, and will do everything they can to try and stir up, stir up trade value for it. But what I think is interesting there, and, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, um, is, you know, Minnesota has been pretty radio silent about all these prospects while, while Golden State is just talking out of both sides of their mouth about, about everybody, um, and so it's kind of curious. It's kind of like a curious situation where you have, you know, Gold State is really trying to stir up this trade value, um, so that because they don't know what Minnesota is going to do. So that's just, you know, what else can they do to stir up value? Like if you were in Minnesota's spot, what do you? How would you guys operate in terms of trying to find a trade partner or maybe picking? So tough. Um, I. I do really like the Charlotte scenario because then you're just you're going down two spots and not really giving up anything and you get just a little bit more assets in your war chest. Um I would 
I'm trying to think like who is like a mid-tier player of like a wing who they could get. I'm sure they could get Oladipo if they wanted to, but that's risky in its own right. I, I wouldn't touch him with the 10-foot pole. <laughs> yeah. Man. I wouldn't take him for free. I'd like, you could give me a bag of chips and say you can have Oladipo and I wouldn't wow. say keep your chips. <laughs> really? Just. Yeah. Well, he's, he's someone, you were talking about teams trying to like wait, play for the trade deadline. I think Indiana is going to do that with him. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? It's it's a risky game because he either looks worse than he did in the bubble and his trade value goes down more, or I mean, or you play him and he ends up looking better um, and then you trade him at the trade deadline. Um, so it's just, I mean, it's, and it and it could very easily go either way. Um, and I, I, I don't know what I would do there if I were them. I, they got, they got nothing to lose though. Like as far as playing him now, cause his value, I mean, in a sense it can't go lower because at least if he plays worse coming out or even as he played in the bubble, then he's got to give up the idea of getting some sort of max contract. Right. Like that's where his head is right now, which makes him problematic for Indiana because they just they can't give someone the max unless they're 100 percent sure that guy is healthy and going to be awesome for five years or whatever. And so, yeah, I think they've got to they've got to play it out. And if he plays better, they'll I think they'll be able to unload him. People I think I think he'll play better. I I honestly do. I hope so. I, I mean, I so hope so. Fun. I don't. I don't wish against anybody, but like, I actually, I like the guy. I mean, he's you know, Big Ten guy. He, I think he's, he's a hard worker, good defender. I just don't know about coming back from that injury, and that's that's the thing. Um, but but yeah, I I don't know. So Oladipo is an interesting story, but I'm sh- I can't imagine they're going to get anything that they want before the year versus what they could get at the deadline potentially. Indiana. Yeah. 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 And there's been kind of smoke about them talking with with Milwaukee about him, which I think would be an interesting fit, but it's essentially saying, Oh, you guys screwed up by giving us Brogdon. <laughs> now give us back what we gave you for Brogdon. Like um I which should just be this should just be kind of comical. But you know, Oladipo was one of my favorite guys to watch in the league when he was fully healthy. And I think a fully healthy Victor Oladipo would be a terrific fit in Minnesota. Um, but it's again, it just comes back down to like like if I'm if I'm the Timberwolves, I'm not I'm not planting my flag on on Victor Oladipo Island and and saying no. this is what's yeah, going to happen. You can't afford right it now. either. Yeah, right. Like you're in a worse position than Indiana because you already have max people. They don't even have any other max guys. Right. And so there's no way you can afford um, yeah dead weight Oladipo. So yeah, makes sense. Um, what about you? Kind of you mentioned him earlier. If uh, the the Wolves traded back with Sacramento and also did some sort of sign and trade to get uh, Bogdanovich, because I think I mean you would fit in really well with the other two you have. I, I think Bogdanovich would fit in really well, but I think that there's a lot of overlap with him and and Malik Beasley. Um, right. And you know, you know, I understand that. You know, there's a there's a big legal situation going on right now mm-hmm. with Malik Beasley and, and I hope he's doing all right. Um, but, but I, I think that the Timberwolves would probably rather keep him um, just because they have some familiarity with him. And, and obviously he played exceptionally well uh, for Minnesota after arriving from Denver. So, um, so I, I wouldn't think that Minnesota would, would go that route just because I think that, you know, of having both of them on the team, I think um, it would be great. Like if, if one of them really ran with the, the bench and the other one ran with the starters. Uh, but since they essentially have the same role, um, you know, I don't know, I don't know if that's what you want to spend, you know, a combined, I don't know, 30, $35 million a year on. Um, I, I think it would probably make more sense to just go with one of them. Um, and, and he's great too. And like, and like Bogdanovich is great, but, um, I think that you'd probably, want more than just Bogdanovich to move up or to move down 11 spots. It is a lot of spots. Essentially, essentially if, you know, I mean, you you could either re-sign Malik Beasley or trade down 11 spots and get a guy who does exactly the same or like relatively the same thing. Um, So, but, but I mean, he, he's another interesting guy for, for Milwaukee too, that I think would be, that I think would be fun for them. But, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what the market is for guys like Bogdanovich and, and Beasley, especially if, you know, owners and 
cap guys are freaked out about the potential of, of what the cap is going to look like in 21, 22, um, because there's going to be a lot of money that gets lost <laughs> this upcoming yeah. season. Uh, with the Knicks, would you trade the number one pick for number eight, uh, 27 and the 2021 Dallas pick. So I would do that. I would do that if the 2021 Dallas pick is on the table as well. Um, just because I think that Minnesota, what are Minnesota's top priorities um, this off season is getting back into the draft next off season. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason being for that is I just think obviously next year's draft, um, you know, based on, what I've read and, and some of the guys that I've watched that are up near at the top, I think that has 2003 level potential. Um, I think that that's going to be probably the best draft we've had since 2003. Um, and I think teams from all over the place are going to be wanting to, to get up and get into the top 10 somehow. And especially, you know, if Minnesota doesn't have a pick there, they're going to want to get back in there because even picks in the mid to late first round, I think are going to have way more value than they would um, in a normal year. Uh, just because, you know, I think guys that would go in the eight to 12 range next year are guys that could be in the conversation for the number one draft pick this year, if they were coming out this year. Um, so, so I think that's a big priority. And I think that would be, that would be alluring to Minnesota, especially too, because 20, so you could use 27 and 33, like you could use 17, 27, and then the Timberwolves also have the 33rd pick to jump back up to like to 10 or something, 10 or something yeah. like that. And, and potentially go that route too. Um, which I think would make sense because you want to try and, I mean, if, especially if like you were saying, John, like if you want to go that route of, you know, getting guys in and throwing them out on the floor, uh, to try and, you know, inflate their trade value before the deadline, you could have a pick at eight and then you could have another guy at 10. So let's say maybe you take like, uh, let's say Isaac Okoro falls to eight. You could take a coral there and then you could take a guy like, I don't know, Tyrese Maxey at 10 or Kira Lewis or, or some, somebody like that, um, which are just two interesting high level or high ceiling prospects um, that who, I mean, who the, who the hell knows what could happen. Um, but, but I think trading with the Knicks, I think would give the Timberwolves a lot of options. Um, and I think there's a lot of different ways that, that the Knicks and Timberwolves can make a trade um, just because of all the different assets that, that New York has available to them. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, and I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but, but my read is that I think the Knicks would rather trade back mm-hmm. um, and try and keep accumulating assets so they can either trade further up next year in the first round with, with a better draft or, you know, maybe make a play for Devin Booker or, um, you know, or a guy like Cat if Cat ends up requesting out. Um, but I think the Knicks are going to try and position themselves nicely so that when that star does become available, that, that they can make that happen. I mean, I, I would, I agree that they, They've probably given up on the thought of maybe like trading for Chris Paul and being decent this year. Um, oh, really? You think so? I I think so. Yeah, and I, I, so. I, I hope so too. <laughs> maybe that's what it I've, is. I I actually am very pro the Knicks trading for Chris Paul. Yeah. They wouldn't have to uh, give up that much, so it no. wouldn't be terrible. Because I I always thought Chris Paul was going to end up in Philly, but now that Doc is there. And now that Daryl's there, um, you know, I mean, two ex-girlfriends. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if well, Daryl, you know, I mean, I think Daryl still loves Chris and I yeah. think Chris would love to be around Daryl, but I think doc is the bigger, bigger question mark. Yeah. yeah not with doc. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would though, um, going back to what we were talking about, I would, I would trade eight um, and the 2021 Dallas pick and, you know, something else, whether it's 27 or, or something like that for the number one pick this year. I definitely would do that as the Knicks. Yeah. And I mean, like I, I have a pretty good read on like where Knicks fans are on guys at eight, Mm -hmm. but like, like, do you really think that the Knicks would be that interested in jumping up to one, two or three to go get LaMelo ball? I mean, is when, would he be the guy that they would go get? I'm pretty sure he would be LaMelo ball would be the guy. Um, I think they would just do that as like, I, th- I think that that would be worth the value. Um, but as like, as since we got the number eight pick and I've been like doing more research on the guys going at who would possibly be there at number eight, whether it be Devin Vassell or, 
Isaac Okoro, I just started to like kind of fall in love with those guys. And now I'm just like, oh, I don't want to give up on that. But you, I think the Knicks would, if presented that trade, they would, I feel, think they would feel obligated to do it. And I would too. Yeah. And I, and I think something that's been interesting too, is you've seen information come out this week about how LaMelo is reportedly not performing very well in pre-draft workouts mm. and in interviews. Um, which I mean, isn't surprising to me whatsoever. Um, just because I'm relatively low on LaMelo relative to, to most other people. Like I would, I would rather almost have Kira Lewis jr. Than LaMelo. Um, I'm almost at that point. Um, but, but I, I firmly have Hayes ahead of, ahead of LaMelo, but I, I mean, I just think that there's smoke starting to come up that now LaMelo is maybe botching these interviews or not really caring a ton about these workouts because he maybe doesn't like the teams that are, you know, he, he doesn't really like the prospect of playing for the teams that are up at the top. I think he kind of knows that Golden State wouldn't take him um, and wouldn't really want Minnesota to take him, wouldn't really want Charlotte to take him. But then you start getting teams like Chicago or New York um, that are kind of in that trade back range where, you know, maybe if he slips and falls, those teams would go get him and he'd rather mm-hmm. do that. So, yeah, Chicago, I don't know. I, four. I, I'm, I'm kind of like three eyeball emojis mm-hmm. on the LaMelo ball situation, right now, <laughs> especially from the Knicks perspective. Yeah. But that's also because I just want to see LaMelo in New York. And, <laughs> or do you want to see LaVar in New York? I want to see all of it in New York. That's for sure. That's a way to bring back uh, pro basketball with attendance. Uh, (laughs) With the bang, go all, go all out. Oh man. Um, Yeah. He, if, if he is throwing these interviews to try and move himself down, there's no way he's getting past Chicago at four. I would think. I would think so too. Um, Just because, you know, Chicago hasn't really had that Showtime guy uh, in in really a, a long time. Um, you know, Derrick Rose is probably the last real guy that they had. And, and you know, Derrick Rose was, I mean, that was 10 years ago where he was kind of coming off the peak of his powers. Um, so it'll, it'll be really, I mean, I'm fascinated to see what Chicago would do, but I, I think that they could also be a sneaky, sneaky trade trade target um if for the wolves trading back if if you know wiseman ends up going one and then they move back to two maybe they move down again with chicago yeah i could i could see them trading up for Lamelo as well um okay so like last question before we let you go uh what do you think about tibbs in general do you are you a fan of tibbs and do you think he'll do well in new york so i there, you know i've I'm kind of back and forth on Tibbs, you know, I, I Tibbs think the coach, he, uh, not the general manager. Yeah. And so the, the point that I was going to make is, is I'm very much out on Tibbs as, as a decision maker in the front office. Um, but I think Tibbs, the coach doesn't get enough or the job that he did in Minnesota. I don't think he gets enough respect for, um, you know, he, he immediately took that team, uh, you know, from just being terrible when he inherited it. I mean, they're still pretty bad his first year, but you know, bringing Jimmy Butler into the fold and, and making that work with two young guys that, you know, didn't necessarily have the same mentality that the Jimmy had <laughs> or that um, Tibbs had. Yeah. And, and, and really made it work. You know, the team was much better defensively than, than I thought they would be. And um, you know, the, I mean, I thought that that team was going to be like a bottom of the barrel last team, but I mean, they were a middle of the pack defensive team. And, um, and they also had one of the most efficient offenses in the NBA that year. Um, I mean, they were the three seed before Jimmy Butler tore his meniscus and got hurt like that. That would have been, you know, and then they kind of got hosed into having to play the Rockets in the first round. But um, but I thought Tibbs Tibbs did a great job uh, coaching that year. Um, I I think that, you know, the kind of the pre-rotation defense that that he used um, worked really well for guys like Anthony or excuse me, Andrew Wiggins and and Carl Anthony Towns, just because it it simplified things a little bit for them. and obviously kind of ensured that there was help defenders uh, in spots kind of all over the floor at all times, which was great. And then obviously having a guy like Jimmy Butler to quarterback your, your defense is, is obviously a, a huge blessing. So um, just the way that he, he fit all those pieces together and, and really, you know, got the ball to towns down low and really wanted that team to kind of run through the run through the post, I thought was, was great. Uh, and, you know, obviously that Timberwolves team performed, performed really well. And it was, you know, 
kind of a fast high and a, and a fast ending, um, ending there. I was actually at Tibbs's last game as a coach, um, against the Lakers and the Timberwolves. It was funny. The Timberwolves won by like 30 against the Lakers on new year's day and then fired Tibbs the, 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 after that game, which is pretty funny, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I'm one of the few Minnesota people that I think would, would go to bat for Tibbs, the coach. Um, Cause everybody jokes about, you know, how he plays his guys 45 minutes a game and, and you, and you see all those jokes and memes all over the internet, but um, no, but I, I think he does a really solid job uh, as a coach and, and I'm really excited to see what he does with the Knicks. Hopefully um, you know, I'm rooting for you guys, hopefully bringing in some top tier talent to, to make it work just because I think that, basketball is better when the Knicks are better. Um, and just, you know, the whole energy, I think league wide, I think is, is better when, when the Knicks are better and everybody's not, you know, dumping on the Knicks. So as long as the front office makes it clear, you can't play your guys 45 minutes a game. Then, (laughs) then I think he's a great coach. I think, I think it was funny too. Like there was a, um, I think it might've been on an NBA track, some type of NBA tracking site uh, might've been an NBA site itself um, that shows like how many miles players would run over the course of a game based on how many minutes. And you saw guys like, you know, Zach Levine would run like four miles a night. And then, you know, while also, you know, moving laterally and, and sprinting all over the place and, and doing that, which just for me is somebody who would never be able to do that ever. Um, <laughs> just like puts it in the context of just like how insane some of these athletes are, but yeah. you know what? Like your best players got to play a lot of minutes if you want to win a lot of games. And yeah, I, I understand that. And, and I kind of, I kind of feel tips on that a little bit. So I it's, it's, it's tough necessarily kind of being a closet tips guy as a coach. Um, but you know, comes out of the cracks now and again. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens in New York though, for sure. Yeah. Uh, John, do you have any questions? Um, I guess, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to put you in like a weird spot or anything. I just, um, who me? No, not you, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Um, the, this whole, you, you brought it up a little bit earlier about, um, the ticking time bomb phenomenon, right? And it's a real thing for small market teams and all of them inevitably go, you know, to the appeasement strategy, right? Like they're all Neville Chamberlain all of a sudden. They're like, <laughs> oh no, we'll do we'll do this because which is already happening in Minnesota. They oh yeah, I mean, well, like a king. D'Angelo yeah. was certainly part of that, right? Yep. Yeah, and, yeah, and and so I I just feel like that never ends up working. Like the the guy ends up leaving or whatever. Like if you look at Cleveland, I mean, LeBron was from there. They threw everything at him in terms of, you know, like making all these crazy trades. And granted, they were bad. Like they were lots of bad deals and, and so forth. And I do not blame him for leaving at all. Um, and I, I loved that move, actually. But if it's not going to work there with like a, with like a hometown kid, who's like the best player in the NBA, how's it work anywhere? Unless Giannis just decides he wants to stay in Milwaukee for whatever reason. Um, like, I guess I just, I don't see, I don't, I don't see it necessarily with, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know the end game with Carl Anthony towns that ends up making him happy, Minnesota happy. And, has like championships or at least some nice deep playoff runs in the future. I don't know how that all comes together. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I do think that there can kind of be a disconnected time at times, especially for um, people who follow or support bigger market teams compared to the smaller market folks, just because I think the smaller market people don't necessarily understand how much of an allure the big market is and why it makes sense that all the big market teams generally are the better teams because players want to go play there. Um, but I think the thing um, maybe that maybe that, and, and I'll use Knicks fans as an example, just because I think Knicks fans just expect that cat's going to want out and that he's eventually going to be on the Knicks is that Carl Anthony towns would do awful in, in yeah. a large market. Um, <laughs> like there's guys like Paul George where, um, you know, Paul George just isn't built for the bright lights. He's not yeah. built for, you know, LA, Rodeo. Um, no, he's, he's just not built for that. 
Um, and Carl Anthony Towns is not either. You know, Cat's from you know tri-state area. I, I get that, and he's from he's from Jersey. Um, but but I think that you know he really has not functioned super well when there's a huge spotlight on him, um, both as a basketball player and I just think his personality. Um, you know, I just don't think would be awesome for a big city being the number one, because wherever he goes, he's going to be a number one guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just don't think that he has that attitude or mentality that would vibe and be successful with a really big market. Um, and, and I don't think obviously that, that people around him would tell him that and would, would Jimmy show Butler him that, would. but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Butler would, that's for damn sure. I love Jimmy. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I, I think the end game with Cat is that you have to show him that you can win in Minnesota. Maybe not necessarily that you're going to go compete for championships, but I mean, as long as Steph Curry and LeBron James uh, are in the NBA, you know, those are going to be the two guys that are going to be competing for the championships. Right. And I think that you have to sell Carl on the fact that you can always be the guy here. And we're always going to do our best to surround you with guys that maximize you, make you look like the best version of yourself that you can, and really have you be the one that's a big hand in us winning. And I think that, you know, in the NBA now, it's popular to just go join a team and win. And it's fun to just go join a team and win. But there's really only one guy in the NBA who is passionate as hell about a small market team and has said through hell or high water, I'm staying here and we're going to figure it out and I'm going to do this and we're going to win. And that's Damian Lillard. Yeah. And I think that you can sell to Carl on saying the only way that you can change your perception in the NBA is for you to stick it out here, you to win with your guy and D'Angelo Russell. And maybe it's a Ben Simmons that the Timberwolves really sell the future for to go try and get um, and say, look, like, here's the opportunity for you. You get to decide what you do with it. You can run and hide and go, you know, request a trade and go play in LA or New York or wherever the hell you want to go. But that perception is going to follow you and it is only going to be more magnified or further magnified if you're, you know, playing in a big market. And I think that, you know, obviously the Timberwolves have all the leverage in the situation because Cat's in year two now, this upcoming year of, of his rookie max. Um, but but the Timberwolves have to start winning. Um, and, you know, I understand that this year was just kind of a throw it all away year um, because Cat was hurt a decent amount and, you know, the team around him just wasn't good. But I think, you know, this up this upcoming year, I mean, he's going to have a better supporting cast than he's ever had, in, both in terms of fit and in terms of talent. Um, and in terms of maximizing him as a player rather than like team success, if that makes sense. Cause I think the team they had in 17, 18 maximized team success, but didn't necessarily maximize him as a player. Um, and so the Timberwolves have, sh- have shown him like, we want to maximize you as a player while also winning. And we want you to be the guy who like moves the needle for us winning. So I think that would be my pitch or the Timberwolves pitch probably to Carl Anthony towns. Um, I understand that it's not necessarily the most glamorous thing in the world. And, you know, nobody wants to, not a lot of people want to live in Minnesota when it's, you know, 20 below in the morning, in the morning when you're getting up and it's dark at, you know, 6am. But, um, you know, I think that's what they got to do. And like, I, they've sold D'Angelo, like D'Angelo loves it in Minnesota. And so the two of them are as tight as you can get. And so my hope is that my hope is that that feeling kind of permeates with cat um, and cat, sticks it out and decides I want to change my perception and take things into my own hands here and and win Um, because he's got all the tools as a player to will his team into the playoffs. Will it happen next year? I doubt it, but um, you know, who the hell knows, you know, the thunder weren't supposed to make the playoffs last year um, and they ended up doing it. Um, And you know, who knows, like you were saying earlier, John, like one injury, one injury can change things for a lot of these teams. I mean, you look at Houston, uh, Utah, Denver, uh, Portland, like one injury changes everything for all those teams. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's a murky future for sure. But, um, I think, you know, winning the lottery and getting the number one pick, um, certainly, certainly helps that out a little bit. I love that answer. Um, absolutely love it. And I, I mean, as a child of the Midwest, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for the 
small market teams, not necessarily a Wolves fan or anything, but I, you know, I, I don't like to see the small market teams get run over. And I think the, what you're talking about, and obviously Dame is the number one and unfortunately only example of a guy who's like, I'm going to plant my flag and win here. Um, and I guess what I really like that I'm hearing from you is that, that Russell was brought in because he'll bring out the best in towns. Cause from the outside, it kind of seemed like he was brought in because he was town's buddy. And I didn't know if it was, I mean, I know that was part of it, but I didn't know what was like the real like lion's share of that. And so that was my concern. If you start to bring in guys, cause you get in that, Oh, we need to win in a hurry mode. And then you start bringing in guys and doing this and that to appease them, to appease the general manager in that particular player. Right. Like, then you get into this situation where you actually sacrifice your future flexibility and then they leave and you go 19 and 63, like the, like the Cavs. Um, so yeah, that's, that's awesome. I think that's, that's great. And I hope he, I hope he buys in. I hope he and Russell are that pairing. I think that would be, that would be fantastic for everybody and that they find a way to use that one number one pick to, you know, take it even higher. Yeah, it's it's definitely an exciting time. And I know that um, in conversations that I've had just with people that are kind of around the team, um, kind of in, in similar positions that I am, um, I mean, there's just so much more optimism uh, for sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of people in Minnesota that are just conditioned to be pessimistic. So you're either correct or you're pleasantly surprised. Um, and I generally take that route, especially with teams that aren't the Timberwolves, like the Vikings and the Twins. But um, yeah, you know, I think that the two of those, the two of them have a real opportunity to, um, to take the Timberwolves back to, you know, a place that they haven't really been to since KG left. Um, and I mean, you see it with Denver. I don't see any reason why the Timberwolves can't yeah. put something together that is similar to what the Nuggets have. Um, and I mean, I think that, you know, time will tell what ends up happening. And if those two guys stick around long enough to, to make it happen. But I think if the Timberwolves, the other, I mean, the other interesting thing to monitor too, is that I think the Timberwolves are going to end up making a coaching change here at some point. Um, and you know, Saunders is the appeasement guy. I mean, that's Kat's guy. Cat loves Ryan Saunders. They, you know, they came back to the Timberwolves in the same year. Um, and ever since Cat was drafted, you know, Saunders was a player development coach and an assistant coach under his dad um, and stuck around under Tibbs. And now is the guy, obviously. So, um, that, that's kind of a whole nother monkey wrench that goes into it. Um, but, but, you know, Denver's kind of the blueprint, <laughs> um, just with having, you know, a, a dynamic point guard and, and a really, you know, special ultra talented big guy that you can, you know, run the pick and roll with and, and make it work. So, um, so that's kind of the trajectory that I think everybody in Minnesota is hoping for, um, and can at least somewhat see if you kind of squint your eyes the right way and, you, and the kind of the, the sun hits the right way. But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and this next, you know, three, four weeks, um, I think for you guys too, but just for basketball fans everywhere and especially Timberwolves fans, um, is just going to be so exciting and something that, that I can't wait to see play out. Yeah. There's going to be no break in the action of off season news, which is going to be great. Yeah. And then, you know, whether the season starts, you know, right at Christmas or, uh, an MLK day, I mean, that's still a pretty quick turnaround in terms of the draft and free agency kind of happening all at once. And then that news kind of taking us into that news kind of taking us into the season will just be a really kind of fun roller coaster to hop on and, and enjoy the ride for. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Jack, for joining us. Uh, do you want to tell people where they could find you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find my work up at CandiceHoopus.com. Uh, it's the SB Nation site for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, you know, do my best, do my best over there with a bunch of with a bunch of other great people. Um, so that'll be great. On Monday, I've got a I've got a big big piece on on Ben Simmons dropping, which will be fun. Um, and then and then you can get at me on Twitter at Jr Borman thirteen. That's Jr B O R M A N thirteen. Nice. Uh, everybody, go vote if you. We're planning on voting by mail. You need to drop it off now or go in person. Uh, no matter what, even if you live in a safe state, go vote. Let's humiliate the motherfucker. Uh, unless you support Trump, then you know what? Ignore everything I said. You you don't need to vote. It's rigged. It's 
just stay home. Uh, I, of course, am at Larry the Athlete on all social media. And you can subscribe to Larry Knows Sports on any platform where you listen to podcasts. May all your dreams be hoop dreams, and may the rest of your days be days of thunder. 